Hello ladies and gentlemen and welcome back to this week's episode of Mill Liberty. I am your host Caleb Franz, this is the voice of liberty for a new generation. I'm thrilled to have you here this week. This week we are going to have uh, an episode that is unlike any that we've had before, um, though it is certainly one that we have needed for quite some time. Whenever I started this this program um, and throughout its duration up until now, we've we've been pretty focused on a particular set of issues, whether whether that be just just liberty in general, or whether that be taxes, or uh, foreign policy, or surveillance, or or all sorts of issues across the libertarian spectrum. Um, but one that we haven't really touched on too much. Is religion and, and more specifically uh, on Christianity and how that coincides with libertarianism. Well, in this episode, that is exactly what I want to tackle today. This episode, I am bringing on um, Norman Horn of the Libertarian Christian Institute. Um, it's it's an institute that that merges the ideas of libertarianism, of Christianity, the philosophies behind both uh, both the political philosophy and the religion, and it tries to go out and explain to people uh, across the country and the world how libertarianism and um, Christianity are the, the most ideological consistent when they are together. Um, so we have a very, very good conversation uh, between the two of us here, and I won't take up any more of your time. So please sit back and enjoy my interview with Norman Horn on libertarianism and Christianity. Uh, Norman, thank you for joining the program. I am thrilled to have you on. Hey, well, thanks for having me, man. It's it's great to be here. Um, while we get into it, I want you to first give us an outline on what the Libertarian Christian Institute is, how it got started, how um, you came to uh, came to forming such an organization, and why you formed such an organization. Sure. So the Libertarian Christian Institute has only been around for a couple of years, although its genesis goes back a number of years um, prior to that, and I'll explain that in a moment. Uh, we are a registered 501c3 organization, uh, full, a fully nonprofit institution, uh, where our goal is essentially to educate the Christian uh, population of the world about the the reasonableness of the compatibility of liberty and Christianity. Uh, and because we are all convinced at, at LCI that libertarianism is the most consistent expression of Christian political thought. And that is something that is worth uh, expanding upon in the church today. So to that end, we try our best to uh, organize around around you know our website and our uh, our social media presence in order to provide our readers and our listeners to our podcast with as much information as possible to equip them to go into the church today and communicate these ideas of liberty in a way that Christians will understand, pick up on, and join and join in the movement in a sense. Um, hopefully also explaining along the way why libertarians who are not Christians are people that we can respect and admire and, uh, and, and really learn from in a lot of different ways. So that's, that's what we're here to do, essentially. And what we, uh, we kind of came from, if you will, uh, was a, the website, which still exists and is just kind of rolled over into LCI, called libertarianchristians.com. Mm -hmm. I started that up back in 2008 in the uh, just about, a, I guess, a month after – uh, so it was really late 2008, about a month after Obama was elected. And really, you know, if we want to go back even farther, what had been going on in, in my life at the time is that I was doing a lot of uh, kind of, of research and development in my own right uh, as a theology student uh, in Austin, Texas, uh, doing classes in New Testament theology and in Old Testament theology and various other topics there. Uh, and, and realizing that these ideas that I had been learning about in libertarianism were indeed uh, quite concordant with uh, with biblical theology. And 
so my goal with the um, in, in, in the years even prior to forming libertarianchristians.com was to start putting together sort of a synthesis of many of these ideas. I started publishing on that in various places, did some contests even with some essays that I had written, won, won a few in, interesting awards because people had never – well, a lot of people I should say had never heard of anything like what I had been talking about. And so in 2008, I kind of been, had been on my mind to start this website. Uh, where I could start publishing these things, and so I and so I did that and got some uh, good traction very quickly from from many of the people who I had been interacting with uh, from the old Christian Libertarian Facebook group that was uh, that was back in back in the day before it, it kind of went defunct and we started a new one that you can find now, uh, and just kept expanding from there and and eventually started bringing on a, um, some some uh, fellow co-authors to help. Uh, uh, expand the blog out a little more and kept meeting more people. I was involved uh, in the early days with Students for Liberty and Young Americans for Liberty, mm -hmm. uh, both great organizations that are uh, very proud to be a part of that. And, uh, and, and really that like, I think that really helped kind of to expand my network of, of uh, what was possible and who I could uh, draw upon uh, in order to support efforts such as this. And so down the line, it um, became evident that we really had uh, enough popular support, at least, to turn that into a uh, an institute, if you will, and it seemed natural to to build it off of libertarianchristians.com, even keeping the same domain name and just renaming and rebranding around the Libertarian Christian Institute. So that's somewhat going full circle there to to suggest that you know what we're trying to do now, uh, we believe is uh, is timely. Um, is we are now at the point of the libertarian movement where it is. Uh, very important to begin engaging with the the religious world. Uh, it's you know in particular, of course, I'm being a Christian. I'm going to think that's going to be the most important one here, naturally. Right. Um, but we we think just think that that's a really good idea, uh, even just as as libertarians, qua libertarians, to begin engaging with people in a different way. And we think we have a good uh, measure of how to to think theologically about these things in order to reach those Christians in words and ways that they will understand. Uh, and then from a Christian perspective in particular, you know, I would be remiss to say that we, we are convinced that this is also the most God-honoring way of thinking about politics. And if we are wanting to be God-honoring in our entire lives, then this it, it behooves us to make this a major thrust of that. Uh, and so that's that's really where we're at now. And we continue to expand uh, and work toward new ideas, new uh, new developments. We've put, we've put out recently an academic journal. Uh, we've got a podcast. We have a website with uh, new content coming out nearly every week. And uh, and we're continuing to, to just expand in, in ways that we feel are reasonable and cost effective. And and so we. You know, we we uh, we covet everyone's prayers and uh, for for what we are doing, and we of course would uh, love it if anybody would come and support us, whether that's through their time or money or efforts. Uh, we really appreciate that as well. But we're going to do our best to keep spreading the word. So there's there's a lot I want to to kind of dive into in the nitty gritty. A lot of what you just uh, what what you just talked about here, um, but I I have to ask, where is the I guess greater not well. Where is where's the bigger audience that has accepted this? Um, who has been least, I guess, abrasive to this idea? What has it been the Christian side of it or the libertarian side of it? Because <laughs> at times, they're kind of at each other's throats. So that's that is an interesting question, and I would say that there is a little bit of an overblown perception of the uh, negativity of libertarianism to Christianity. And the reason I say that is that is for actually for two reasons I should say. One is that really to the mo to to the most extent that I can and really can observe, uh, part of that perception comes from the uh, magnitude of the voices involved in that discussion mm -hmm. rather than the quality of the discussion itself. Mm -hmm. A, a number of libertarian atheists out there, and I have many of them who are, are very, who are my friends, and I respect them, sure, uh, and they respect me. But they're also very vocal in their atheism, <laughs> and that would give one to the impression that perhaps uh, their that libertarianism uh, is really only for atheists, and that just isn't true. Um, it, alongside that, really comes with Rand's influence, Ayn Rand's influence on the movement. Despite the fact that, of course, she didn't really like libertarians for the most part, thought that they're uh, they were 
bankrupt on philosophy in various ways and and didn't come up with a more com- complete system that that she really liked. Um, right. but, but still, there's holdovers of that into, you know, into the modern libertarian movement. Um, and, and, you know, so that that's kind of a problem. Um, but I think when you when it really comes down to it, what you got to know is that there are Christians all over the place in the libertarian movement. Uh, I mean, regardless of where you go, whether we were talking about, you know, uh, folks at uh, at Students for Liberty or, or YAL or the Mises Institute or the Cato Institute or Reason Magazine, there you will always find Christians who are involved there. I can point to pretty much um, any organization, any major organization in uh, in the libertarian movement today, and I can probably name a Christian there that I know personally. Right. Uh, I've had the great fortune of being able to get around and talk to a lot of people in the movement, been to a number of conferences, and 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 wherever I go, I find this. Um, the you know even the Libertarian Party, which is some sometimes and and you know had to, had to caveat of course you know we're five hundred one c three we don't explicitly support the Libertarian Party because we can't and all that, but it is just a fact that there are libertarian there are Christian libertarians, libertarian Christians, in the Libertarian Party. All of this is true, and so that is a uh, that is a kind of a, a a misperception that I think is easy to misperceive um, because of the magnitude of those voices. I'll give you one other piece there that I think is important as well. Another reason that uh, that that perhaps the Christian libertarian voice is not so loud is n- again not because it's not present, but that the proponents thereof don't feel fully qualified or ready to explain why they are libertarians in the context of their Christian faith. Mm-hmm. And that is something, of course, that we're uh, at LCI we're really trying to focus upon is giving people. A, a means of thinking about it and then explaining it to others. Well, I mean that that makes perfect sense to me because I look at some of the the uh, the most influential and some of the biggest names in in liberty, whether it's in you know Libertarian Party or just Liberty Movement in general. I first thing that comes to mind is Ron Paul, uh, Judge Napolitano, yeah. Tom Woods, people like this who are not only the epitome of of libertarianism, but they're also incredibly devout Christians. And I, I believe uh, Ron, Ron Paul's last book, I think, was even uh, a part of a, it was a, a, it was a reference to scripture, I believe. I, I, I may be wrong about that, but um, uh, I mean, I mean, obviously he's a very, very Christian individual. And because of that, I, it's perplexed me a little bit why libertarians have gotten this bad rap. Is it just because, do you think uh, another aspect might be because Social conservatives might have a, a very strong sort of stranglehold on 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 certain aspects of the political parts of the of the faith. I think that's that's highly likely. Mm-hmm. Um, there's there's a number of different things to unpack in what you just said. Uh, of course, you know, like as you mentioned, Ron and and uh, Ron Paul, Rand Paul, mm-hmm. uh, Andrew Napolitano, all these guys are terrific Christian men. Uh, you know, as well as being, you know, stalwart libertarians. And, uh, and that's, you know, that's great. Uh, and I'm, I'm privileged to be able to be a part of, of, you know, of Ron Paul's campaign in the past. Uh, and, and, being able, you know, it's, those things are, are wonderful to, to do and to, and to see that and to see Ron, especially going full throttle in, in talking about his faith. Uh, and it's really, it's really funny in a lot of ways that he is, excoriated often by some of the most Christian conservative type people out there. Uh, whereas somebody, you know, and, and whereas other, uh, let's say presidential candidates, uh, can have all sorts of improprieties. Uh, and yet, uh, you know, the, the, the various, uh, Christian conservative luminaries of the world, uh, laud them like they're, you know, the second coming of Christ almost. <laughs> and that's just, uh, that is, that's really heinous to me. Right. Uh, it's insulting. Um, and I, I believe that, that I, I really sincerely believe that they're, that they can, they will, that they're not, they're not, look, I'm not going to tell them that they're going to hell or something like that, but they will be called to account on, on the account of these words that they, that they made. And, uh, that's really, that's really, a, a shame. And it, and it does our witness as Christians, uh, no good whatsoever. If we, you know, lift up and, and, uh, and profess allegiance to these sources of power, uh, as as being somehow beneficial to the world, and yet you know they're they're crappy people. Uh, so you know 
I just, you know, when, when, on the other hand, you have Ron Paul, who's, you know, been married to one woman for like, what, 50 years, has wonderful children, is a, is a paragon. (laughs) Yeah, he's a pair. Yeah, he's a paragon of, of virtue. I mean, essentially, I mean, he's obviously not a perfect man by any means. Everybody knows that. But I mean, the guy is great. So what's the deal, guys? Um, but you know, one of the, one of the things that we, uh, that we like to say, even at LCI is put not your hope in princes and, uh, and you, or you could just, you know, paraphrase the scripture there and just put not your hope in presidents and, and realize <laughs> that, you know, when it comes down to it, uh, while Ron is a, Ron is a vehicle for a message, it's the message that's important. And, uh, and the message is something that, you know, who knows, even if you were president, maybe it would get diluted in the, in the crap that is the presidency itself. So I'm not so worried about that, uh, in the long run, it's just evident uh, or evidence against, you know, the, the character, uh, of, of the Christian conservative movement. And just one more reason why we need to be out there and making a dent in this, um, but you know what? I'm going on and on about this, but not fully answering the rest of your question, um, which really goes back to, you know, is it is it a matter of the social conservatives or what what is it that's kind of uh, causing some of these imperceptions uh, or misperceptions as well? And I think a, a, a big aspect of this is probably one of the one of the primary focal points of LCI's message, which is being against war. And the fact of the matter is that, like, the conservative movement overall has not figured out non-interventionism. And, right. uh, and they're, they're deluded into thinking that this is necessary both to keep us safe, to keep us free, and to somehow protect, you know, I guess protect Christianity or protect their culture in a certain way that is just, I mean, it's really anathema to, to traditional Christian thought when you, really, when you really get down to the nitty-gritty details. The, the neoconservative notion of foreign policy and whatnot is completely different. It's a, it is an innovation in theology when it comes down to it. If you, if you start putting it in, in theological terms, that is not the way that Christians have thought in the past. And it looks more like, uh, the aberrations in Christian theology, uh, such as the crusades or various other mm-hmm. things that, that we would consider to be heinous uh, in, in the long run. And I think that, you know, frankly, I kind of feel like that if, if, uh, assuming that the good Lord doesn't return in the next, you know, few hours or a few years or whatever, uh, that, that down, you know, 500 years from now, that they will look back upon this time of neoconservatism and see it like uh, akin to the, or analogous to the crusades on some level, uh, that, that the, the interventionism, uh, of, of this, of this and the, and the previous century will, will look more like that than, uh, than, you know, than anything else. So, so let's, let's expand on that just a little bit. Tell me what, in, in your eyes, where do you see that libertarian Christians get it right? Whereas conservative and liberal Christians often get it wrong. There's obviously you can take that both ways. Everything? There. Yeah. <laughs> Besides the obvious. Well, I mean, I guess it, it comes down to fundamentals. Um, so we, if, if we want to put it in theological terms, which I think is the, you know, that's, clearly what's most important here, you know, a really critical piece is how we observe the scriptures in light of the state. Um, and the typical way that a Christian will go about looking at the scriptures and uh, regarding the state is to point to something like Romans chapter 13 verses one through seven, and look at that as the, in, the interpretive lens of everything else. Mm-hmm. Uh, to where the state is established by God and it has this authority. It's there for your good, and that's why you pay taxes, and, and it holds the sword for this reason. It punishes evil. Like, okay, well, that's that's part of it. Uh, but that if you take that as your interpretive lens, you miss out on really the, the crux of Scripture that speaks against this sort of power. And you really need to go around the entirety of Scripture in order to, to get the full interpretive lens by which we would then look at Romans 13 down the line. So if you start with Romans 13, you end up with a essentially, I mean, I, and I hesitate to kind of throw it out like this because it's very easy to just say, well, you're proof texting, a term that we Christians often will use uh, if, if you have non-Christian listeners, if we say, you know, you're proof texting this. Uh, and from a theological point of view, that means that we're, someone is quoting the scripture in order to try and just prove one point from a limited perspective uh, of just maybe one or two uh, scriptural passages in order to, um, in order to, to kind of make the point that they want to make. It's kind of like it, – it's somewhat It basically circular. doesn't paint the whole picture. Yeah, exactly. It's only a piece so, of the puzzle. 
yeah, it's important that if you know if you're if you're looking at any in any author uh, or set of authors, for instance, if you 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 know and you're trying to make a singular point based on just a little bit of information, you kind of say, well, you're not really taking into account the whole. Right. Uh, I would suggest that that is a big problem with the way that Christians often look at the state. And so I think that's the first piece is that theologically they have a fundamentally flawed view of what power is. Uh, and they look at the kingdoms of man as being um, some sort of uh, – they, they look at it as being concordant with uh, and acting in concert with the kingdom of God as proclaimed by Jesus in the Gospels. Mm-hmm. The libertarian Christian or the Christian libertarian, however you want to throw it out, we look at that and say, no, the kingdoms of men run antithetical and in opposition to and in rebellion to the kingdom of God. And that comes from a whole view that starts in Genesis and goes to the final book of Revelation. Uh, and that's and so we we'll take all of that into consideration, whether whether we're looking at the Tower of Babel or when Israel asks for a king and gets uh, and gets King Saul out of it, which is a total disaster, or whether we're looking at the time of the, the of uh, the kingdom of Israel and the kings that were uh, in power there and how much how terrible they were, or whether we're looking through the prophets. And uh, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and their indictment of uh, of the system that that they were under at that point, which was the, the these monarchies uh, that were in in fact uh, oppressing uh, all sorts of people, and so on and so forth, or whether we're looking at uh, the king, the the empire of Rome, uh, and or whether we're looking at Revelation and the end, the destiny of uh, civil governments, uh, and, and as it's proclaimed there in a more metaphorical manner. Uh, and so that's that's really where we where we begin is looking at you know all of the evidence which seems to point against the state as, as being in rebellion against uh, as in as being in rebellion against God, and then that's when we go finally and go back to Romans 13 and, and begin to look at that. And I would encourage if your your listeners if they're interested in that, all they got to do is go to libertarianchristians.com, look for our get started page, and you'll find all sorts of information there about that. Yeah, okay, so that's- we'll we'll definitely we'll definitely look, link back to that because I'm I'm uh, I'm I'm really interested in in some of your some of your takes on that um, because uh, I think a common misconception and this is something um, earlier on that I I kind of wrestled with myself was that it isn't isn't government devised by man is you know man is valuable um, and here it's supposed to say that we're supposed to submit to that. When, if you just look at it in those contexts and those lenses, then that seems very, very odd to to somebody who you know inherent their inherent nature uh, is to kind of push back against government, you know, regardless of 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 what kind of government uh, it is. Um, but what what do you say to people who let's let's talk a little bit economically? Um, mm-hmm. What what do you say to people who say you know? capitalism and um and making money and and things that libertarians are obviously in favor of uh that's not entirely consistent with the ideas of christianity well, that's, that is a good question uh we we encounter that a lot as well you might imagine and uh so, so that's <laughs> yeah so that's i mean so the other side of the coin here is that uh is really that the the libertarian idea of, of non-aggression and property rights as being kind of fundamental to human society and, and, and societal organization uh, is something that really is supported um, in the scriptural witness mm-hmm. uh, from beginning to end, likewise. Uh, so whether you're looking at the Ten Commandments and the and the you know in the second the second part of the Decalogue where the you know the commandment uh, commandment number six is you know thou shalt not steal and the final commandment is thou shalt not covet, uh, seeing that as kind of a you know a rather important uh, <laughs> imagining of like how of how uh, property and possessions are to be arranged. And and when it comes down to it, whether whether or not you you know want to go farther and, and talk about God's ownership of of the universe per se, uh, self ownership is something that is acknowledged in Scripture, uh, and that sort of self determination is something that is to be expected. 
even even the the, uh, the basically that's to say in many respects that the people who even would suggest well you know the Bible supports slavery and things like that well that's kind of a false notion there you really got to dig a little deeper than I mean if you proof text it if you just want to throw something out of nowhere yeah. yeah you can probably sort of circuitously argue that that the, oh the Bible supports slavery that's not really what's going on and that's not really the scriptural witness in whole. Uh, it, you know, that, that, that would be a misper that would be a misperception even. Um, but when it comes down to it, self-ownership, the idea of private property, uh, the, the idea that you own the fruits of your labor is something that is in, it is really all throughout the background of scripture and not something that goes against, um, you know, the, the, uh, the scripture does not go against the notion of capitalism or, um, or of self-determination or self-ownership in this regard. That's uh, that's just a fallacy. And in fact, in many respects, one could say that the, de- that the West- Western civilization development, uh, which has been permeated uh, so, so deeply by the influence of Christianity, is, is really the system like the, that bleeds out into capitalism. The reason we have capitalism is because of these Christian virtues in, in many respects in the West. Um, that's not to say that you couldn't discover it uh, just intuitively or uh, for, through natural law, because it certainly is there. But it is uh, it is absolutely true that the influence of Christianity helped accelerate the understanding of mankind toward a this system of capitalism that is so beneficial to everyone, that provides so much prosperity, and that allows us to be charitable in ways that we uh, and, and help other people in ways that you wouldn't expect otherwise in a system where poverty and and oppression is uh, essentially the the norm as opposed to um, an aberration. Would you say that um, the 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 mis misconception around this is not only a mischaracterization of Christianity, but also um, capitalism itself, and not understanding it, what it's actually supposed to be. Yeah, yeah, that that seems likely as well. And you know, you you see this. I mean, this is a this is a problem. You know, not uh, common to Christians, and so it's not like you can indict Christianity as being the inherent problem. Is that this is just a right, problem with right. mankind, right? That people just, in, well, with so many people, uh, uh, just don't understand what it is that capitalism is and does uh, for the world and why people are prosperous and why we have first world problems rather than third world problems, <laughs> you know? So, th- yeah, so I think you're, you're right in that. Um, let's, let's talk a little bit. Um, you, you mentioned earlier uh, a little bit about, about foreign policy and um, recent iterations uh, that that neoconservatism has kind of had an impact on Christianity what how, how do you view aggression from a from a biblical sense so as Christian libertarians um, we definitely see the non-aggression principle as being the fundamental building block of libertarian thought mm-hmm. and one way that I like to talk about it is besides this the the kind of obvious things that you see in scripture that are that allude to this uh, things like you know thou shalt not murder thou shalt not steal thou shalt not covet and you know bear false witness etc cetera, etc cetera. Um, one one thing that's kind of interesting and uh, is probably worth you know an academic paper at some point is the parallels between the non-aggression principle and the golden rule, uh, where whereas you know the non-aggression principle states that essentially you should not do to others what you do not want done to you, the golden rule is kind of a positive spin on that, uh, maybe the other side of the coin, maybe the other side of the golden coin, huh, <laughs> or something to that effect. Um, where it says, you know, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. So it's a it's a different spin on it. Um, the non-aggression principle suggests, you know, as as a, it's it is the basis of what we would call the negative rights way of thinking, right? Mm-hmm. Negative rights system. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you you should not do uh, certain things to others because it viol- it violates uh, their rights. It's you shouldn't do what you wouldn't want done to yourself, right? The the other side of that being um, this is a positive one um, that, you know, the golden rule states that you should you should do to what to others what you should want done to yourself. In other words, to treat others, for instance, with respect, uh, with dignity, um, to to be, you know, courteous and charitable and all of those things that like that you can think of there that you would want done to yourself. Well, do that to other people as well. Um, so I think there's there's an interesting parallel there that's probably worth exploring a lot. Um, but I mean, it, this permeates scripture because this is the basis of ethics itself. 
uh, at least, and so, you know, the, the non-aggression principle is not the end all and be all of ethics, but it provides kind of the lower baseline level of what we should expect in organized civilized society. Um, so I am, I, I think probably the, the best argument um, in, in both philosophies is the idea of, volunt of voluntary transaction and, and, and free will. Um, yeah. That's obviously completely consistent with, with both libertarian um, line of thinking and uh, Christianity. Um, because there are many scriptures that point to to God wanting a a, a healthy, happy <laughs> follower of His, and the same with libertarianism. It's no good to to force your ideas if you can't convince them to do so uh, voluntarily. Um, so I think I I, I guess I kind of want to have this discussion discussion with you a little bit. What um, what is it that people don't understand that force uh, in ideas, whether it's with religion or whether it's with a political uh, a political format, um, what is it that people don't understand that forcing ideas on people just, it, it doesn't change what's in their hearts? So there's a, there's a few interesting things to unpack there, you know, within that question. Um, one thing I, that actually I think is, is, kind of relevant here as well too, is you, you suggest, you know, there are, there are plenty of scriptures that, um, that indicate that, you know, what God wants out of his people are to be fully satisfied in him. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, so I'll, we'll, we'll take that as meaning, you know, kind of your, the, the, uh, happy and healthy as you mentioned, but there's another piece of that too. And it's relevant here because there are points in, uh, the Christian's life, uh, where, you know, are what would be normally considered sort of happy and healthy may not be kind of evident in our lives. Uh, and, and in fact, that has a lot to do sometimes with the possibility of persecution even. Uh, and there, and, and when, and, and it's interesting to note, you know, like who does persecuting? Like a lot of times in American life per se, uh, you know, if it, up until maybe, I don't know, 20 or 30 years ago, even where persecution was kind of relegated to, you know, the outside world. Mm -hmm. And that if, if it was happening to us as Christians, like kind of in America, it was more like, oh, well, you know, I'm getting, I'm getting made fun of by a friend or something like that. Um, but it's interesting to know. First world problems there. Yeah. First world <laughs> problems, right? Yeah. <laughs> but it's interesting to note that like in history, who does most of the persecuting? Yeah, it's governments, right. it's states. It's not often, you know, the, I mean, sometimes it's organized like, you know, maybe primitive tribes or something like that. If you go out and try and, you know, preach the gospel to somewhere and, and you know, who knows where um, that that does happen. But for the most part, it's governments that and states that do the persecuting. Even now um, in, in today's world, you know, there are places that persecute Christians, whether it's in the Middle East. Sometimes that occurs or maybe it's China or Malaysia. I mean, there's various places where this happens. And I, I mean, I may be and I may be mischaracterizing. Maybe it's not Malaysia. I don't know. But we do know that there, there, that this does happen in the Middle East. We know it's happened in China uh, and it's happened in various places throughout the world being done primarily by governments. Um, and so that's interesting as well to kind of to, to kind of point out. But back to your point uh, about uh, sort of enforcing morality, and that's kind of what you were getting at there. And what is it about force that uh, that kind of prevents? Um, what is it about force itself that really uh, makes or doesn't make people moral? Well, there's there's a there's a bunch of stuff in there that we could talk about, but I, there's probably a couple of things that are most significant. One is that when you're using force to try and make people moral then they're not really making that voluntary choice anymore. They're not choosing to be moral. It's being thrust upon them in a way that is kind of antithetical to the, their thought processes. It's not really, it's not really having an effect uh, per se. It's because they're not even, they're not even taking the action for the purpose of, all right, I'm going, I'm doing this not because I'm, I'm, uh, I, I feel like that this is the right thing, but I, that, that I, my feelings are in the right place, but I know that it's just the right thing to do. And I know that my feelings will come into uh, congruence with this down the line. That's a perfectly valid way of going about making a moral action, but they're doing it because, well, I'm just have to, I mean, told to do this. 
Uh, that's not a good way of, of, of causing people to be moral. But the other, the other thing is, is that by, in, by using force in order to make someone do something that may be positive, you're kind of acting in a, in kind of a performative contradiction. It's like saying, well, I can sin a little in order to make good happen somewhere else. And if we've, you know, gone through scripture at any reasonable level, you know that, that there's plenty that suggest in scripture that doing evil so that good may result is not something that is, uh, that is permissible in, <laughs> uh, for Christians to do. So it actually kind of, it, it, it acts in contradiction to the, to the Christian's primary values to use force in order to push people into morality. It doesn't. It it actually like it runs. Uh, you know, it runs perpendicular to our orientation, uh, as opposed to using, you know, voluntary action and persuasion in order to uh, bring people in line. And and I use those words carefully. We don't want to just you know, but in line I mean like parallel with the path that God has set out for us. Uh, not you know, hey, I'm gonna push you in line. But you, you see what I mean there? Right. Like that's, yeah. that's really the essence of, of what we're getting at with uh, even with the gospel is it, it is a it's not something that is forced upon you, um, but is something that you are encouraged to accept. Uh, God doesn't work in that way, which is amazing because he doesn't have to. No, it's a choice all, yeah. that he made. And if, if there's anyone with free will in the universe to get what he wants, it's. God, the one who created everything. But the fact that he doesn't do that should kind of be an indicator that perhaps we shouldn't either. Right. And, and you know, to further your point, uh, Jesus didn't say to go out and conquer the world in my, in my likeness or image. He said, go out and tell the world, which tells me that is, is you know, to further your point, that's about... Um, communication, communication. Is what it's about, it. yeah. uh, having, having a, a voluntary acceptance, not, not necessarily just holding a, a sword at that time or a gun now to their head and saying, you have to do this and submit or, uh, perish. This is the most effective way at, at changing the world. And, um, likewise in libertarianism, that's, that's something that echoes, I think, um, all throughout libertarian ideology. And and we'd be remiss to point out too that it wasn't as if Jesus didn't have a chance right to take over right. the kingdoms of the world. In fact, he was offered it. Right. It, and and whether you take it literally or whatever, you have to know that he was tempted with power as as explicated in Matthew chapter 5, where you know the 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 Satan comes to him and offers him the kingdoms of the world. And it wasn't as though, you know, he said, well, you know, that's not something you could do. Uh, he doesn't reject it on the basis of that, oh, well, that's not possible for you, Satan, to do. You couldn't give me those kingdoms if you tried because they, they're, they're, they're you know, didn't you go read Romans 13? This is, <laughs> come on. <laughs> um, that's not what he said. In fact, he acknowledged what Satan, uh, what Satan said as, as essentially as a truth that he could have by his reaction. They said, no, I'm not. That's, I know I could, but I'm not to do this. I'm not going to, to, um, to, to uh, fall down at your feet, Satan, and worship you because it is, it is incumbent upon me to, to uh, worship the Lord and serve him only, as the scripture says. So it's interesting that we somehow forget that as though, you know, that that's not relevant when we're talking about the, uh, about the status of states in the Bible. Um, but you know, what, what, what can I do? I mean, other than just tell people that that may be a good way to look. <laughs> right. Um, so there's one, one other area that I kind of want to touch on before we start to, uh, to wind down. Um, libertarians tend to have a very Negative views of not just government, but um, social institutions as well. Just just greater, I guess, um, communities at at the same time, and and I think that is really more damaging than it is um, uh, progressive in 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 the sense, obviously not in the uh, in the political sense, but uh, actually making sure. progress. Yeah. Um, because with without. Without government, somebody is going to feel like something has to be done. And if it's not for the social institutions, then they're just going to fall back on government and, and keep asking for, for a bigger and bigger state. Um, what And this is, this is something that I really like about uh, what your institute is doing is because it is kind of bridging that gap. 
Um, but obviously there are still individuals who, who need further convincing. So what would you say that, uh, that would further that convincing? <laughs> well, uh, biblically speaking, there is a place for authority mm-hmm. in the world, but it just needs to be properly recognized authority and properly instituted authority. And our position is of course that the state is Always, <laughs> let's just let's just put it this way: the state is always improperly instituted authority because right. it is founded not upon uh, proper authority, but rather upon aggression. Uh, proper authority. This is a great thing about Jesus, right? I mean, the, uh, how many great things can we say about Jesus? It's amazing. <laughs> yeah, but but he, one of the things that I think is absolutely astounding about the way that Jesus behaves in the world is that he never executes power over people. He's always executing what we might call a power under, uh, and that's how that's how authority really works. Um, because really, when it comes down to it, all power in all power in the universe really can be. Uh, reconstituted in, as it's God. God is the one who is all powerful, per se. But when it comes to you know delegated authority and whatnot, that that's something that's real too. Um, but when that is that authority is exercised, if the thor- if it is authority exercised in any kind of well, let's just put it this way, in any aggressive manner, then it's not going to be it's not going to be wielded well. It's not going to be wielded in concert with the way that God acts, and it's not going to be in, in concert with what God intends for his people to act like. Uh, and so that's that's significant here. Um, good authority is, is, is wonderful to be under. It's not that we need to abolish all frames of authority, um, because we can't function without authority at all. Like that's just not even possible. Even in the, in the process of capitalism itself, when you make a trade with someone, you're sort of accepting in a sense, a little bit of authority about the, uh, uh, the veracity of the person that you're, of, uh, that you're working with. When you're having a conversation, you're, ex- you have an expectation of sort of the authority of their honesty and their, and, and their character or else that your interlocutor can't, can't really do anything with you. Uh, and then, so there are different forms of authority and to try and, and really throw that against the wall and say that no authority whatsoever can ever be legitimate is, is very problematic. Uh, and just and really, I don't think has a has an ultimate place in um, in in libertarian thought like that. It's okay to 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 question authority. Uh, in, in fact, even God even expects us at times to to be confused uh, by what He even says, and to but but and to some in some ways question, but but not in an unfaithful manner. Uh, it's it is entirely possible in an to, honest way to in an honest and respectful right. way, regardless of who you're of who you're inter, of who you're interacting with, uh, authority authoritative or not for that matter, um, to do so in a way that that uh, that that maintains a, ma- a measure of respect and dignity on all parties' parts, uh, and so that that's kind of important here. And and there like and as I've just mentioned, like there there's so many good things about good authorities. Uh, the elders in my church, for instance, I, I just absolutely love. They're wonderful people, and I trust them. And, and so you know, they may not even be them. They may not be libertarians. In fact, I can guarantee you they're not. But that's okay <laughs> because they, they often have you – know, they have my interest at heart. And so when they provide counsel to me, I'm going to listen to it. It may not mean I agree perfectly with everything they say, but if, you know, I've had some elders in my churches in the past where it's like they say, they say jump, I say how high, uh, because that's how much I would trust them in, in their ability to offer me wise counsel. And that's similarly for parents or for um, you know, people who, who, who hold uh, just a, a wonderful amount of personal, uh, a personal respect in your own heart. Uh, from based on experience and by your um, by your understanding of who they are and their character, so yeah, it's it's important to have good authority in one's life um, that you can rely upon, and and so that eventually when you become the you know and it's in a, in a position of authority that you'll know how to behave when you're when you have it. Uh, I I think that's actually a really interesting point because. We may not think about it in this way, but even libertarians have certain figures of authority that we. Oh sure. We, you know we have there's there's Ron Paul, there's Ludwig von Mises, there's uh, even going back to Jefferson and and, and uh, individuals like that that we always look back to as our sort of philosophical figures of authority. 
um, yeah. always, always taking it, taking uh, counsel from. Yeah. And, and, and so really, I mean, again, it comes down to aggression. Like if you're wielding authority in this kind of power over manner that regard, that requ- requires you to enforce it, uh, your, you know, and, and reiterate your authority through the use of something that, uh, that pushes down someone else. Well, that, that's not, that's an authority we can resist. Mm-hmm. That that's fine. You know, that's, or, and resist may, may come in a lot of different manners. It doesn't mean necessarily you're going to, you know, pull out a gun and shoot them or something like right. that. That, you know, we're Start not, we're not to that self, like yeah, that, we're not yeah. to the self-defense mode here. That's, that ain't the, that ain't the case. Right. Um, but, but to kind of generalize all authority as being illegitimate is not something that libertarianism speaks to. We don't oppose authority. We oppose aggression. And that's, that's the key here. Uh, Christianity often in many respects kind of helps to bring this into focus, um, because we are expected to recognize the authority of God. We're expected to understand the, the authority of, of our parents when it, when it, when it is appropriate. Uh, they're, you know, the, not, 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 not uncategorically or, uh, uh, you know, <laughs> per se, there are, there are bad parents out there and don't want to, you know, dip demean any of that sure, and the sure. experiences that people have. Sure. But often, you know, if your your parents have your best interests at heart, if you're a part of a church, I sure hope you have great elders uh, who can who can teach you and, and ministers who can uh, can do that. I mean, we have, if anything, we have a great opportunity in Christianity to really come to a good understanding of what good authority looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's start to wind down here. I, I kind of want to go through a rapid line of questions. Oh boy! Um, <laughs> and you don't have to keep it uh, short on your end. I, I'm just going to keep the keep the ball rolling. Um, so, what book would you recommend for anybody who would be interested in these ideas that we've been talking about to dive deeper um, into these philosophies? Awesome. That's a great question. So I'll give you probably my my. Let me give you three things. And you know, I know you asked for one, but we'll do three. Yeah, you're fine. One. Called to Freedom uh, is a new book that uh, we helped publish at the Libertarian Christian Institute. It's a great little intro into um, a variety of, of kind of Christian libertarian topics. It's written by uh, five five young men and women uh, from varying theological backgrounds. Uh, it's not very long. It's very accessible. You can find it on Amazon. You can find it all over the place. It's it's uh, it's not well, – I shouldn't say all over the place. It's not super widely known right now. Um, but we definitely support, support its, uh, its dissemination. It's a great little book. Uh, on just the pure libertarian edge, the thing I'm always going to recommend to people is For a New Liberty by Murray Rothbard uh, because it the book is freaking terrific and I love it and it's just fantastic every little which way. Uh, and then finally, if you really want to dive deep, we've got some resources on our website. Uh, in fact, just I, – I believe it was uh, only about eight days ago I think, maybe, maybe just a week ago when we released a podcast about some of our favorite books. And we talk extensively about this for just under an hour. So if you want a lot more information and authors from the Christian libertarian perspective and otherwise, I highly suggest that one for you. Perfect. Um, what individual or uh, maybe like you know, like like you did on on the last question, a, a few individuals would you say has the the best understanding of of both philosophies at the same time? Oh boy. Okay. Uh, so let's, let's go with, um, let's go with a few, uh, because that's probably a good thing. <laughs> I think, I think Ron has a great, uh, a great understanding of, of, of kind of the Christian libertarian perspective and, you know, in, in a lot of different ways. I definitely think he's, you know, straight up there with some of the best thinkers. Um, you know, let's go a little farther back. Uh, there's a guy who's now deceased named Edmund Opitz. And we talk about some of his books in that podcast I just mentioned, so it's another way to kind of get uh, involved in that. Um, and and let's go and then let's go uh, with kind of a, a deep back uh, and, and give you kind of some extra historical perspective. That's super fun. Uh, let's go with William Wilberforce uh, because you know one of the great things about about him, you know, is that this is a man who campaigned for abolition in England, abolition of slavery. And managed to accomplish it on the basis of a Christian worldview and proponing these ideas of liberty from a Christian perspective about why men should be free and did it without firing a a gunshot as opposed to the American experience, which is heinous, of course. Mm -hmm. Uh, 
you know, that, that yes, it's great that we got, you know, that slavery was abolished, but it didn't have to happen through the deaths of hundreds of thousands of people mm-hmm. and, and a civil war that it, where Christians were pitted against other Christians uh, over, over what, you know, could have been solved without firing a gunshot. So I think that that's probably a fun way of, uh, of giving some extra perspective on all of that. Um, and finally, where can people find you on, uh, on social media or online? And, okay. and I know you, you plugged a podcast, so you're, you're free to, to plug that as well. Oh yeah. Well, yeah, definitely. You'll, uh, you'll find, and I'll, and I'll just let this be us as in Libertarian Christian yeah. Institute. Um, let me give you kind of the best ways to, to kind of find us and, and, uh, and interact with us. Uh, one is you can, of course, like we said, the podcast is kind of one of our newer things. Uh, and we've got, we know we just celebrated our kind of first anniversary of that, uh, in the past week. Very cool. We've got about 52 episodes up so far. Um, and that's primarily run by, uh, my compatriot, Doug Stewart, uh, over at LCI. Uh, so that's, that's fantastic. Uh, the, the parent website and our organization website is, of course, www.libertarianchristians.com. Uh, that's a that's a I mean, that's got a wealth of information. I mean, it's it's been up now. We're, we're about to basically celebrate being existent for 10 years. It's pretty cool. It's wonderful. And uh, and so our brand new website uh, has to do with our academic journal that uh, our first issue released over uh, in early January. And it's called the Christian Libertarian Review. Our, our head editor is um, is a guy named Dr. Jamin Hubner, uh, and he's a, a a great Christian libertarian man. He's a professor at John Witherspoon School, uh, and he's a professor of theology there. It's, he's a terrific man. Uh, I love him to death, and he's done a great job with this journal. So that's that's one thing. And then I guess the the best way to find us on Facebook, and there's two pieces here you want to take a look at. We do have a Facebook page that you can follow, and we have just we post a lot of fun stuff, some memes and funny things, and just general libertarian news and news from the world and so on and so forth. It's fun perspectives and and uh, and, and it's not treat not quite as academic or serious as per se our you know our regular blog posts all the time, but it's fun and we enjoy it, um, and we hope you will too. And finally, we have a Christian Libertarian Facebook group, which has about 9,000 people in it. Um, it's, it's big. <laughs> and there's a lot of discussion that goes on. And from, from people you know, that come from a variety of different perspectives and, and let's say, uh, varying understandings even of libertarianism and Christianity and Christian libertarianism, qua Christian libertarianism as well. Um, so it sometimes is a little, uh, it can get fiery, it can get crazy, um, but it's a good place to, to learn and to discuss and to interact with other, uh, fellow thinking Christian libertarians. Oh, that sounds wonderful. I've, uh, really enjoyed having you on today, uh, Norman. I, uh, hope that a lot of people get as much out of it as I have. Um, and, um, thank you for coming on. Well, Caleb, it's been my pleasure. Uh, thanks for doing what you do, and keep up the good work, man. Thank you very much. And, of course, for everyone listening, um, you can follow me at Caleb Friends on Twitter. Follow the show at Liberty on Twitter. Uh, subscribe to us on iTunes so that you will never miss an episode or an update. And check us out on Patreon now because now we just have that launched, and uh, we would surely appreciate your support there. Uh, and until next week, we'll see you.